You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hi, this is Sheila Dean with That AI Show and the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. We are running a July promotion to get as many Substack followers as humanly possible to subscribe at SheilaMDean.Substack.com. Please go to the website and hit subscribe uh, for a goal of 500 subscriptions. So far, so good. So that's Liberty in Many Directions, SheilaMDean.Substack.com. So what do you get? What's in it for you? You get podcast content aired specifically on Colin.com from That AI Show, a Saturday show on AI subject matter with conversation, and the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives, as well as specific writings from yours truly. So go ahead, uh, get on board and promote. If you like the stuff that you're hearing and perceiving and reading, go ahead and try to get at least three to five friends or a hundred friends if you want to uh, buy in and subscribe. This is the month to do it. Time is ticking. Let's go. Thank you for joining. You've been listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast so far. Um, We are live. Got some listeners coming in. Tonight we'll be reading the authoritarian moment, how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent. But first, I have a news clip for you, or rather a comment clip from Senator Ted Cruz. I just thought it was a timely piece of information given that our summer has been so packed with um, incidences of reporting on, you know, how the Sinaloa cartel actually launders their money in Vancouver, B.C., and all the nasty stuff they do. So I just wanted to give you a little update on that, so I'm just going to cue this up. This is Ted Cruz telling the world about the cost of the border cartels. The banks of the Rio Grande, you see littered these these plastic wrist bracelets. Virtually every illegal immigrant who crosses color-coded plastic wrist bracelet, the color corresponds to how many thousands of dollars they owe the cartel. So you've got to pay the cartel anywhere between 3000 and for, for Chinese illegal immigrants, they're paying as much as fifty or $70,000 to come in illegally. And you have to pay the cartel. There is 100% operational control of the border. If you try to cross the border on your own, the cartel will kill you. And what happens when you cross over, the Border Patrol isn't catching these people. They go look for the Border Patrol. They turn themselves in voluntarily. They have a name and address of someone in the United States. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they are the last mile of the human trafficking network. So every city in America, you might think, I don't live in Texas. I'm not in a border state. I promise you, whatever city you're in, whatever state you're in, you are in a border state because Joe Biden is flying illegal immigrants to your state. And the teenage boys, they show up, they owe the Mexican drug cartels thousands of dollars. The way they pay it off is they work for the drug cartels. They're in the employ of these criminal cartels, and the girls have it worse. The girls, horribly, many of them are trapped in sex slavery. And, you know, Sean, think about it for a second. You're, you, let's say you're a Honduran little girl, 
you're 15 years old, you're looking north, you're imagining life in America, you're imagining life in freedom, and you end up, your parents agree to pay the cartels, and you, you end up six months later working in a brothel trapped where every day you're in sex slavery trying to pay off your debt, and it's like an old school plantation. They charge the girls for their food, for their room, for their board, for their air conditioning. They charge them $30 to cut off an ankle bracelet. And every day, whatever money they make, they charge them against them, and, and they're just trapped in hell. This is what Joe Biden and the Democrats are doing, and you cannot defend it. It's not humane. It's not compassionate. It is horrific and inhumane and evil. All right. Well, that's our senator from the great state of Texas talking about what actually happens here every day, every single day. Does not get better unless we end it or we find a way to end it. So I just want to say that before we got out of the earshot range of the opportunity. Um, Just wanted to say that because it's happening every day, happening every day. All right, so here I go. I'm turning to the authoritarian moment. We're going to pick up where we left off. This is Ben Shapiro's book, How the Left Weaponized Americans' Institutions Against Dissent. Here we have, listen to the experts. Ultra-crepidarian problem crops up regularly in the realm of policymaking when scientists determine they are not merely responsible for identifying data-driven problems and proving data-driven answers, but for answering all of humanity's questions. The ultra-crepidarian problem is nothing new in the realm of science. Indeed, it is an integral part of scientism, the philosophy that morality can come from science itself that all society requires is the management of experts in the scientific method to reach full human flourishing. Scientism says that it can answer ethical questions without resort to God. All that is required is a bit of data and a properly trained scientist. The history of scientism is a long and bleak. It contains support for eugenics, genocide, and massively misguided social engineering. But the popularity of scientism hasn't waned. Modern scientism is a bit softer than all of that, but maintains the same premise that science can answer all of our moral questions, that it can move us easily from the question of what is to the question of what ought to be done. Steven Pinker, a modern scientism advocate, writes, The Enlightenment principle that we can apply reason and sympathy to enhance Human flourishing may seem obvious, trite, old-fashioned. I have come to realize that it is not. The phrase human flourishing comes up a lot in the philosophy of scientism. But the question of what human flourishing constitutes is indeed a moral question, not a scientific one. The debate over whether a human being should live a socially rich life filled with commitment to others or a hedonistic life filled with commitment to self-fulfillment is literally as old as philosophy. On a less philosophical level, the ultra-crepidarian problem undermines science by undercutting the credibility of scientists who insist on speaking beyond their purview. Take, for example, the problem of climate change. 
the scientific community, there is a set of well-established facts and well-accepted principles. First, that climate change is happening and that the world has been warming. And second, that human activity, particularly carbon emissions, are contributing to significantly to that warming. There is serious debate over how much the world will warm over the course of the next century. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change estimates that the global climate will warm somewhere between 2 degrees centigrade and 4 degrees centigrade over the mean temperature during the 1850 to 1900 period. That's a rather large range. There's also significant uncertainty about the sensitivity of the climate to carbon emissions. As NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies, Director Gavin Schmidt explains, climate insensitivity rather climate sensitivity, has quite a wide uncertain range. And that has big implications for how serious human-made climate change will be. Furthermore, there is a wide uncertainty about the impact with regard to climate change. Will human beings be able to adapt? How many shock events will occur? These uncertainties lie at the heart of climate change policy. How much should we sacrifice current economic well-being and future economic growth for the sake of stabilizing the environment? What level of probable future risk justifies real-world, real-time policymaking in the present? True scientists are modest about their recommendations on such questions. They speak in terms of risk assessments and quantifiable metrics. William Nordhaus, for example, who won the Nobel Prize in economics for his work on climate change has suggested that people ought to accept that certain amount of global warming is baked into the cake and that we will be able to adapt to it but that we ought to work on curbing global warming outside of that range. Experts in the science TM however have no problem proposing radical solutions to climate change that coincidentally happen to align perfectly with left-wing political recommendations. Those who disagree are quickly slandered as climate deniers. No matter their acceptance of IPCC climate change estimates. Thus the media trot out Greta Thunberg, a scientifically unqualified teenage climate activist who travels the world obnoxiously lecturing adults about their lack of commitment to curbing climate change as an expert, they ignore actual scientific voices on climate change. After all, as Paul Krugman of the New York Times writes, there are almost no good faith climate change deniers. When failure to act on the science may have terrible consequences, denial is, as I said, depraved. Then he lumps together those who deny outright the reality of global warming with those who, quote, insist that nothing can be done about it without destroying the economy. But here's the thing. Very little, very little, can be done about climate change in terms of regulation without seriously harming the economy. To abide by the Paris Agreement guidelines would cost... by Heritage Foundation estimates at least $20,000 income loss per family by 2035 and a total aggregate GDP loss of $2.5 trillion. And even as the UN Environment Program found in 2017, even if every major country kept to its pledges under the much-ballyhooed Paris Agreement, the Earth was still 
would still warm at least 3 degrees centigrade by 2100. So in fact, even if the United States were to cut its carbon emissions 100%, the world would be 0.2 degrees centigrade cooler by 2100. To reach net zero carbon emissions worldwide by 2050 via representative AOC's infamous Green New Deal would cost the typical family of four $8,000 every single year. This is not to suggest that nothing can be done about climate change. We should be investing in adaptive measures like seawalls and be looking into new technologies like geoengineering. We should be cheering on America's fracking industry, I'm not so sure about that, but which has redirected energy from more carbon intensive industries. We should be pushing for the use of nuclear energy. We should be promoting capitalism, which increases living standards around the globe, thus making people in poverty less vulnerable to the ravages of climate change. Yet those who promote these policies are treated as deniers, those who shout that the world is ended, and the only solution is massive economic redistributionism, are treated as truth speakers. Behind closed doors, those who truly know about climate change understand the complexity of the problem and the foolishness of many of the publicly proposed solutions. You know, just as an editorial sidebar, I don't necessarily agree with all the assertions of Mr. Ben Shapiro on terms of climate. I just wanted to insert that, but I do believe it is worth reading his book to you. So, nearly all acknowledge that climate change was largely baked into the cake, that many of the most popular solutions were not solutions at all, and that the alternatives to carbon-based fossil fuels, particularly in developing countries, were infeasible. Yet when one actress then stood up and began cursing at these prominent experts, screaming that they weren't taking climate change seriously enough, they all stood and applauded. That wasn't science, that was THE science TM. But the attempt to claim solutions for all problems in the name of science, the ultra-crepidarian problem, quickly shades over into an even deeper problem, the bleed-over effect, in which those with the politically correct opinions are deemed experts, in which science finds itself at the mercy of these so-called experts. The bleed-over effect. And this is from the chapter, How Science TM Defeated Actual Science. Perhaps the greatest irony of the ultra-crepidarian problem is that by enabling scientists to speak outside their area of expertise, to allow them to engage in the business of politics, while pretending that scientific integrity, scientists create a gray area in which politics and science are intermingled. This gray area, the arena of the science TM, then becomes the preserve of leftist radicals who promptly adopt the masquerade of science in order to actively prevent scientific research. In recent years, postmodernism has entered the world of science through this vector, endangering the entire scientific enterprise. Postmodernism claims that even scientific truths are cultural artifacts, that human beings cannot truly understand anything like an objective truth, and that science is merely one way of thinking about the world. In fact, science is uniquely a Western, red, racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, etc., 
way of thinking about the world. It is a theory of knowledge that has historically perpetuated systems of power. Again, this is nothing new in human history. The Nazis rejected Jewish science just as the Soviets rejected capitalist science. Hmm. But the fact excuse me, um, that the Western world enriched to nearly unimaginable heights by science and technology has even counter countenanced the postmodern worldview is breathtakingly asinine. This philosophy obviously hasn't infused all of our scientific institutions, but it doesn't have to do so in order to endanger the enterprise. Renormalization must merely occur in terms of setting boundaries to research. Scientists, science must be curbed in the most sensitive areas when it has conflicts with authoritarian leftist thought. That is precisely what has happened, where the ultra-crepidarian problem widens the boundaries of science beyond the applicable, the bleed-over effect narrows the boundaries of science to the applicable or acceptable. By infusing social justice into science, science must now meet with the approval of the New York, or sorry, the new <laughs> ruling class. Uh, those who speak in contravention of established left-wing theology are outed and ousted in truly authoritarian fashion. As theoretical physicist Lawrence Krauss writes, academic science leaders have adopted wholesale the language of dominance and oppression previously restricted to cultural studies journals to guide their disciplines, to censor dissenting views, to remove faculty from leadership positions if their research is claimed by opponents to support systemic oppression. That left-wing theology dictates that all groups ought to achieve equal results in every area of human life. If science suggests differently, science must be silence. Thus, conversations about IQ and group differences will be met with exorbitant outrage, as Sam Harris found out, even when the participants explicitly denounce racism in all of its forms. Conversations regarding differences between men and women in terms of aptitudes and interests must be punished, as Lawrence Summers found out, studies questioning whether women do better with male mentors in academia rather than female mentors are retracted based it based not only on faulty research but on the dimension of potential harm in fact nature perhaps the most prestigious science publication on the planet quickly issued a policy stating that editors would be seeking outside opinions on the broader societal implications of publishing a paper an open invitation for political interference into the scientific process. This means the death of scientific inquiry at the hands of the woke. This overt politicization of science is most obvious with regard to gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is a condition characterized by the persistent belief that a person is a member of the opposite sex. It is an exceedingly rare phenomenon. Or at least, it was. Rates of reported gender dysphoria have been increasing radically in recent years, particularly among young girls, a shocking phenomenon given that the vast majority of those diagnosed with gender dysphoria have historically been biologically male. 
That unexplained phenomenon became the subject of research from Brown University Assistant Professor Lisa Littman, who released a study on rapid onset gender dysphoria documenting the fact that teenage girls were becoming transgender in coordination with others in their peer group. Brown pulled the study with Brown School of Public Health Dean Bess Marcus issuing a public letter denouncing the work for its failure to listen to multiple perspectives and to recognize and articulate the limitations of their work. Something similar happened to journalist Abigail Schreier when she wrote a book on rapid onset gender dysphoria. Amazon refused to allow her to advertise it. Target temporarily pulled the book from its online store. Chase Strangio, the ACLU's deputy director for transgender justice, suggested stopping the circulation of this book. A fascinating take from an organization literally named for its defense of civil liberties. There is no evidence whatsoever that gender is disconnected from biological sex. Yet scientists have been have given way to gender theorists whose pseudoscience is inherently self-contradictory. This leads directly to absurdity. Doctors have claimed that gender identity is the only medically supported determinant of sex, despite the fact that biology clearly exists. In 2018, the American Medical Association announced that it would oppose any definition of sex based on immutable biological traits identifiable by or before birth. Instead, favoring language that states that doctors assign sex at birth. A laughable assertion. The AMA even outlined legislation that would ban therapists from suggesting to children that they ought to become more comfortable with their biological sex rather than acting in contravention to it. The New England Journal of Medicine, likely the most prestigious scientific journal in America, printed an article in December 2020 recommending that sex designations on birth certificates be moved below the line of demarcation since they offer no clinical utility. Despite the lack of longitudinal data on transgender surgeries and the high rate of desistance from gender dysphoria over time from young people, much of the scientific community has rejected watchful waiting as somehow transphobic. Blacklisted doctors and journalists who refused to encourage gender transition for those who were underage and stated without evidence that the solution to gender dysphoria is a radical redefinition of sex itself, whereby children ought to be taught that they can freely choose their own gender and adults ought to be socially cudgeled into using biologically inappropriate pronouns. Your truth now matters more than objective scientific truth, and those who know better are forced to denounce the objective science, engaging in top-down censorship of other viewpoints while proclaiming their adherence to the new moral code. Scientific inquiry is forbidden. Now authoritarian leftism, citing the science TM, rules. How far has this insanity gone? In June 2020, the American Physical Society, an organization of 55,000 physicists, 
closed down its offices as part of a strike for black lives, recommitting itself to eradicate systemic racism and discrimination, especially in academia and science. Nature put out an article titled, 10 Simple Rules for Building an Anti-Racist Lab. Princeton faculty, more than 1,000 of them, issued a letter to the president proposing that all scientific departments create a senior thesis prize for research that is actively anti-racist or expands our sense of how race is constructed in our society. In December 2020, a group of professors of computer science felt it necessary to write an open letter to the Association for Computing Machinery the world's largest computing society, decrying cancel culture. We are a group of researchers, industry experts, academics, and educators writing with sadness and alarm about the increasing use of repressive actions aimed at limiting the free and unfettered conduct of scientific research and debate. The group of professors wrote, Such actions have included calls for academic boycotts, attempts to get people fired, inviting mob attacks against offending individuals and the like we condemn all attacks or we condemn all attempts to coerce scientific activities into supporting or opposing specific social political beliefs values and attitudes including attempts at preventing researchers from exploring questions of their choice or at restricting the free discussion and debate of issues related to scientific research the fact that such a letter was necessary in computer science demonstrates the depth of the problem, but it was necessary earlier in 2020 near IPS, the most prestigious AI conference on the planet, required authors to submit papers with a statement explaining how the research could impact politics, a question decidedly outside the bounds of science but firmly within the bounds of the science, TM. Okay, so how are we doing on time? Okay, we've got about five, five, six callers? Okay, we're going to go ahead and take a call. Zainab, are you with us? Can you hear? Can you unmute your mic? I know you were standing by for a while there, probably while I was reading. So what we just read was a few more excerpts of how the Science TM defeated Actual Science Part 2. This is day 98 of 100 days of Colin. So uh, I think we've lost Zainab. Um, she is not coming through. Would anybody else like to come up and, and speak about any of the content that was aired in these last moments in this reading? Okay. Zainab might be back. So I'm going to try her again. Let me see if I can Let's see here. Invite to speak. Maybe she will speak now. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to remove you from the queue, Zainab. Um, would anyone else like to speak? Because otherwise I will continue with some of this reading. I think 
we're doing pretty okay on the counter. I don't know how long I've been on the counter just yet. Oh, but I can see that I'm about three minutes shy of seven. So I could probably put in a, a few more words on this. Let me see here. Well, I would probably just need to go with the diversification of science. And that, that's the next, um, next leg of what we're doing. So it might seem awkward, but what we're going to do is we're going to probably wrap up a little bit early tonight if nobody wants to come talk about the content of this authoritarian moment text, which is the left, how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent by Ben Shapiro. Um, I look forward to hearing from everyone next episode, which will air tomorrow, uh, somewhere between 6.30 and 7.30. Um, we'll see how it goes, but I'll post a notification through the network. Thank you for joining us here at the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.